Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome to We've Never Been Clicked. This is Cuppy Cup with GoodBullHunting.com. And today my co-host is Rush Roberts. How are things going, Rush? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, Very good, especially because we have... uh, I don't want to insult our previous guests, but this might be our biggest get on our relatively new podcast. We have Bruce Feldman, Fox Sports Senior National College Football Columnist, best-selling author. Bruce's latest book is The QB. You can check out Bruce's work on brucefeldman.com. Follow him on Twitter. You probably already are at Bruce Feldman CFB. And Bruce also co-hosts a podcast of his own, The Audible with Stuart Mandel. And I think that's all the plugs I have, Bruce. How are you today? I'm good. And I appreciate the kind words. And whoever whoever uh, was at the expense of it, I I thank you for, 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 for that. Uh, that's a it's a lot to uh, have to live up to. It was kind of the podcast version of subtweeting Ben Baby. That's what I was trying to do there. Um. <laughs> God, I think I actually may have, you know, I don't really, I don't think I know him. I don't think I've met him, but I, I think I may have seen him uh, at A&M practice Thursday. No, oh, probably. So. He's the, he's the newest A&M beat reporter for the Dallas Morning News. So that's very probable. The, so, so you were in College Station last week as part of your, your college tour of the summer. Is that right? Yeah. So just a little background. So on Wednesday or actually Tuesday, I flew into Oklahoma. Uh, we had a couple of TV features that I was working on that we were basically going to shoot them both, uh, Wednesday. And I spent, you know, the day at OU went to practice and then the way the schedule is going to work out, I was going to try to go somewhere, whether it was either LSU on the back end or do a do a Houston A&M kind of deal. And the schedule worked out really well where I could go to Houston and A&M and actually visit a smaller college where there's a coach I know on Friday before I flew out. So it worked out really well. Um, I'll say this. It's just like, you know, every time I go to A&M, you kind of even become more blown away by the facilities. And now I've seen everything finished because I'd spent a bunch of time there where there were a lot of cranes around and, you know, things were going right. up. And now they're the rolling. So it's interesting to see the finished product. Yeah. Everything certainly is, is looking good aesthetically. Hopefully that will, will translate to something good on the field this season. And of course you are, uh, you're always popular in, in Aggie circles among our fan base, but I think particularly this week you're popular because you, you're predicting some things that seem to exceed the expectations of, of other journalists out there. Uh, you said Texas A&M has its best team since Johnny Manziel. And of course, his last team went nine and four in 2013. Um, so I so I think you're looking uh, for something good from A&M this year, which which we always like to read about. Funny. So I, I had two pieces that were A&M related. One was 
more specific to them. And that was kind of my takeaways from the trip. And it was going to the practice and seeing the whole practice and also talking to guys on the staff and around the program. And then the other piece was went up also on Monday on FoxSports.com. And that was really my team by team predictions. And we, on our podcast, we talked about my trip to A&M as well. And, you know, it's funny is I picking them to go nine and three, which is, I think a solid year, but it's not like I'm picking them to go 12 and oh, and win the SEC West or win the SEC. And so I think people are like, you know, think it's, you know, some people are like, wow, you're really going all on the bandwagon. <laughs> I'm like, no, I, you know, what, what is interesting is I've seen, I saw three top, what I think are three top 20 teams in practice in consecutive days, uh, in Oklahoma, in Houston and in A&M. Now there's, OU has better running backs, uh, clearly than the other two schools, but, and I think, I think OU has the best quarterback from a personnel standpoint from top to bottom. I thought A&M had as impressive a roster. They have the best receivers. I thought they, you know, D line wise, I think Houston's pretty good. I think A&M should be very good. I think A&M's secondary to me is the biggest area where it looks a lot better than it ever has since I've, you know, been around Mm -hmm. them in the last four or five years. And I think that's an area, but you know, there, there are parts where you can pick and choose and things, but I just think from top to bottom, this looks like a very good team at physically. It doesn't look like a young team anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, Trevor Knight's not Baker Mayfield, but if he's, if he's solid, which everyone around there talks about his leadership and what he brings to them, and he has really good receivers. And I think Noel Mazzoni is a pretty good fit for him. Uh, you know, we'll see how I expect the offensive line to be better just because the offensive line coach you know, fundamentally is much better than what they've had there last year. And I think staff chemistry should be better. So all those things being equal, um, you know, they have a tough opener against UCLA He's a very talented team with a terrific, you know, young quarterback. So it's not going to be easy, but it's, it's a home game. And I think they'll, I think they'll win that. And I think they will be able to to sustain some momentum this year, which is something I just don't think because of their inexperience, they've been able to do in the last couple of years. Of course. Yeah. And if, if the schedule was a little bit softer, I would personally be more optimistic. But you've you've kind of made me sad about my own expectations by pointing out that, you know, nine and three is not exactly uh, a world beating prediction. But it, it made me really happy to see that maybe because other columnists are predicting, you know, seven wins, maybe eight at the most. Yeah, and I think some a little of this is a function is, you know, someone's first year. And I remember, you know, writing this and it's kind of this fact to stay with me. You know, they finished in the top five. It, it was like the first time they'd been that high in like 50 years, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously you guys know this even better than me, but A&M has a very proud history, but there haven't been a lot of great teams. There's some pretty good teams in there, but you know, there's been things that have been a little mismatched parts. And I think right now, I don't think it's a stretch to say that they're in a much tougher you know, division or in a much tougher league now than they are. If they were in the big 12, you know, I think they would be in the, you know, a serious contender to win, win the conference. Mm-hmm. Cause I think the only team that I would say has more talent than them out of the big 12 from top to bottom would probably be Oklahoma. And some of that is cause I think they're just, you know, a lot better in the backfield, but again, 
you know, I think Oklahoma doesn't have as many difference makers on defense as, as, as A&M does, which sounds kind of crazy considering how bad A&M's defense was just not that long ago. Yeah, it's kind of different for us to be more optimistic about the defense than we are the offense this year. And a lot of that comes with the quarterback unknowns. And we're still kind of feeling the sting from the, the double QB transfer in December. So maybe that, that biases our feelings in a negative way, uh, maybe more than it should. Hey, a quick aside on that. So I didn't plan it this way, but, you know, I, I, I got to OU. Really, we're focused on a Baker Mayfield feature. We also did a P. Ryan story. But, um, you know, I kind of forgot that Kyler Murray was going to be there just because he's not playing this year or whatever and saw him and then got to Houston and Kyle Allen uh, threw a lot that day. And I know Kyle, you know, reasonably well and saw him, after, you know, like – Afterwards, I was talking to Tom Herman, Kyle came up and I said, you know, it's funny. It dawned on me. I'm going to end up seeing all three quarterbacks who started for AM last <laughs> year in the span of 24 hours. Right. And he said without missing a beat, he goes, you going to go see Kenny too? And I was like, no, I'm not. I don't plan to go see Kenny on this. <laughs> oh, you have to, you have to go <laughs> to TCU next. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to make that drive on this part of the trip. But, uh, you know, and I shared that story with uh, everybody's favorite redheaded walk on quarterback there. And he kind of laughed and. It's just, uh, there's a lot there. I mean, you know, between, between, you know, A&M and tech, you know, you have a lot of quarterbacks who are going to be playing college football and probably being really productive. You know, it's like one degree of Cliff Kingsbury goes pretty far in the quarterback business right now. Right. Yeah. We, uh, instead of a coaching tree, we're starting a quarterback tree at, at Texas A&M. Yeah. The crazy things that Johnny Manziel begat. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And even in your, your own prediction about the best team since Manziel, we still use those 2012, 2013 seasons as our, um, our standard or our reference, which the baseline. Yeah, exactly. Well, he covered up a lot of flaws mm-hmm. on defense. You know, I was at the, you know, when I was working on the QB, I was at the peach bowl and, you know, just to think how far they've come in the secondary, especially at safety from that group to where they are now. And just a lot of guys who are, probably not ready to play. You know, I remember the first team and, you know, like you had a really good pass rusher and, you know, but just, it didn't look like it was, they didn't have the kind of personnel you would think across the board. I mean, same thing, Mike Evans covered up a lot, Mm -hmm. but I don't think the rest of the receivers were as good as this group is. I mean, I think the, the sixth and seventh receivers here now, some of those guys are the same guys, but I think are just a lot further along. You know, it's kind of crazy to me. I was, popped my head in somewhere and somebody was showing me around and I was like, I saw the Ed Pope nameplate, you know, on the depth chart. And I was like, and it still said like six, four, one seventy one or whatever. Like, man, I feel like, I feel like Pope and Taboyo are like RC Slocum recruits. (laughs) Yeah. Bruce, you mentioned before you've been inside the the A&M program and you seem pretty close to the Kyle Allen transfer story. What's your honest take on Kevin Selman's sort of management style and I guess his overall control? Because there was a whole lot of panic last December when both quarterbacks transferred. Yeah, you know, he seemed to be more more at ease than probably a lot of people. And I think maybe that's a function of, you know, he's he and Bob Stoops are tight. And I think he probably maybe had a better sense on how, you know, this is where Trevor Knight's going to end up and where, you know, he's going to be a good fit. Um, He was very confident that they were going to land that they were going to land Mazzoni, you know, he's a guy that I know real well. And it's, uh, it's just, it, I think a lot of those pieces came together well. And that's, you know, sometimes 
you know, you kind of wonder, it's like, this looks really bleak. And then all of a sudden it works out very well. And it remains to be seen. I mean, by all accounts so far, it looks like it's on the right track to be in a very good thing, you know, but who knows if Trevor and I had gotten hurt in the spring or whatever, um, you know, wouldn't have, you know, it, it would have been a very different dynamic, but I think that shows you how kind of fickle college football can be at a lot of levels. I mean, to be honest, it's not just, it, and, and you guys know this and that fans know it. Sometimes they are so hyper, hyper, hyper local and hypersensitive to, you know, oh my God, this third string tack, defensive tackle who we were counting on, you know, he just got a DUI or he's way out of shape or whatever. And it's like, it sends people into a panic. <laughs> not and, our fan base, oh, yeah. Bruce. <laughs> no, we're, we're very rational. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's not just you guys. I mean, it's, everywhere sure, yeah you know and i see it and just you know and i think it's it's cool that everybody has the passion or invested in it so i'm not i'm certainly not mocking it because i understand it um but i think those are kind of the ways it works and we're going to see how all the pieces come together and i'm i'm curious to see it as much as any, anybody just because you know i've seen a lot of this you know i, I think sometimes you know dave christensen this is an aside but it's not an aside i guess dave christensen you know it's not a bad football coach, but I think he proved to be a very bad fit for there. And the staff chemistry, you know, on the offensive staff, especially was really disjointed. And I think that did not help. Yes. I think that like those staff chemistry is a very underrated aspect because I know what that happened at Florida state. And when Bobby Bowden, you know, some of his assistants moved on and it was hard to keep it on track. Yeah. And what do you, that that chemistry obviously wasn't working particularly at the end of last season. What do you think about Jake Spavadol? Because our our fan base was pretty hard on him, but uh, I actually think he might see some success at, at Cal. I think he will too. Look, Jake's really smart, and people who are a lot smarter about football than me, including you know Dana Holgerson, think he's really smart and really talented, and he has a good relationship with his players. I think the thing that's very underrated about him was he was. One of the guys who helped get Adam and Christian Kirk. He was also the guy who helped get Kevin White to West Virginia. He was not a bigger crew, but he turned out to be a high first round mm-hmm. pick. Um, and he got helped. He's already helped Cal on that front. So I think, you know, I, I, it's a tough dynamic because he takes over for a guy who, as the offense coordinator, is still on staff. And then he gets an offensive line coach that I think probably was not in a great place to be an offensive line coach at that stage of his career. And so I think that caused a little bit of, you know, tumult. Right. So I think Jake's going to be fine. I think Cal's a good fit for him and we'll see what they do. I mean, he obviously has to replace Jared Goff and the top six leading, you know, receivers they had, but I think he'll do a good job there. Cause I do think he's really smart and, you know, kind of been around him enough to know, I think he has a good sense for what he's doing. Right. And I think, Aggies will kind of loosely be following how he how he does over at Cal. And maybe that depends on how Noel Mazzoni does here. But, um, you know, hopefully both coaches uh, see some success. Bruce, I'm going to go and switch over to defense now. Um, you recently named Miles Garrett your number one freak in college football this year. And you had him at number two last year as a sophomore. Can you tell A&M fans who might not be familiar with this what it's all about? Yeah. So I've been doing the freaks list for about a dozen years and it really set up as like this ideal off season piece where I could look at, uh, you know, who's that player in every program who has some ability, whether it's either, you know, on the track or in the weight room where it's just, 
makes the, them all go wow and gather around to see what they can do. And it's been a variety of things. I mean, one of the guys I had last year was Anthony Zettel, who was a really good D lineman at, at Penn State. He was in the top five. He hits a golf ball 350 yards. He, you know, he's a 275 pound defensive lineman. He could throw a football 70 yards. He's a mixed martial artist guy. He just had a lot of different things. In the case of Miles, he is, it's, it, it's the purest sense of the guy who will blow up the combine when he gets there to work out. And Jadavian Clowney was my number one guy a few years ago. And the metric that they used was this, was this tendo system that could measure like explosive power in, in uh, pounds per square inch. I forgot what it was. I mean, in the case of miles, you're talking about a 260 pound guy who runs in the mid four fours and can power clean almost 500 pounds and does some ridiculous stuff in addition to being a really, really good football player. So he was a, he was about as clear cut a number one as I've had in a while. Having said that the number two guy, Devin Allen just went to the Olympics as a hurdler. So he's pretty special too, but, um, just watching it, you know, seeing it translate. I mean, he was a huge recruit who's lived up to the billing and now we want to see how much better he gets in year three. Nice. Was Von Miller ever on the freaks list? That's a good question. You know, my, my, my point of reference for Von Miller for so much is I did a recruiting book about 10 years ago now, 11 years ago, meat market, where I spent a year around Ole Miss and inside their war room. And I just remember Ed Ogeron talking about Von Miller and the way he described him was a power packed fricking freak. <laughs> and because he ran track and could do all these things, they thought he was going to be a great edge rusher. And look, he turned out to be right. right. Um, you know, so I think they made one more pass at Von Miller, but obviously he wasn't going to come to Ole Miss. It wasn't like they were that good back then anyway. Sure. Um, but I think he probably would have been there somewhere. It's just a lot of times you, you want a way to quantify it more than just their high school track credentials. I'm not sure. Right. I don't remember, you know, if I had stuff on him then or not. I just wanted to put you on the spot with some 2010 questions. Man, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> what up, guy? Can you do an Ed Orgeron impression? Not a great one. Um, not a good. Uh, yeah, that. It's been a while since I tried to to do that. You know, because he's he's such a unique character. You know, there. It's funny. Like I saw some a reporter down in Louisiana tweeting out how Orgeron has twin boys that are now freshmen at McNeese State and. One of, the, one of the kids was a really good receiver early on in, in Louisiana. And I guess now uh, that that kid has been like the best freshman that McNeese has and is, you know, playing really well. And it's crazy because I remember like that particular one looks like a mini me version of Ed. And the other son looks <laughs> more like the looks more like his wife. Um, and he's a quarterback. But uh, but it's funny to think just now like that. Those little kids now are playing college football because right. I remember they were, you know, kind of running around an arcade and just kind of what seemed like, you know, five or six year olds. Mm-hmm. That's funny. I'm just impressed that you've attempted the the impression in the past. Bonus points. <laughs> the uh... Yeah, I, you know, I don't think he would appreciate me doing the impression or whatever. It was like, <laughs> even when the way it would be was there was one particular day where he went off on one of the grad assistants who had, you know, probably done something he really shouldn't have done. And I just remember I was sitting actually in the between them when he when he yelled at this guy and uh, 
just afterwards when, you know, the room started to clear out, he just turned to me and goes, well, you got to see a good one today, didn't you? And I was like, and I was like, I don't need to cue to my ears for the next couple of days. <laughs> right. So just, just, oh, he's just, just a character. That's yeah. funny. Well, speaking of access, you have, uh, at least compared to journalists on that, the A&MB, you have pretty good access to Kevin Sumlin in the program. Um, I just wanted to ask what you think about his overall coaching style and also what you think he needs to do to get off the hot seat. I mean, sometimes I think the hot seat's overblown. Um, I do think there's some danger there, but um, not quite as pressing as as people are reporting. Uh, what are your thoughts? You know, I think the biggest thing about him, and I there's some comparisons I would make to Pete Carroll in terms of being kind of a player's coach where guys, there is a looseness around the program. And, you know, that can be, people can see that as good and as bad. Mm -hmm. It's not to say there isn't mm -hmm. discipline, but just, I remember how loose they were the day before or right before they played uh, Alabama. You know, this is Alabama is a loaded team. I think on paper, you know, yeah, A&M had Johnny and they had Mike Evans. That team was nowhere near as talented as that Alabama team. Yep. But, yep. uh, you know, you could see them. It ultimately comes back to how good is the leadership in the locker room that goes along with it. And I think you can foster that as well. But I think Johnny was a unique dynamic, you know, and I think if someone's there and not there, I don't know where Johnny would have been at, you know, because I because the first year Cliff Kingsbury was there and I think he had some of Johnny's respect. But Johnny was, you know, I. I don't know. I mean, is Johnny at Texas state? If he, if there's a different coaching staff in place, is he having, you know, the success he had? I don't know. Right. I mean, he's, he's a fascinating character because of, you know, he fit. And on some ways I thought he loved football. I don't, there was a lot of other stuff that, you know, it was just a, the, the consistency was not there. You know, some, sometimes he'd feel great about something. Other times, you know, it just, it was just very different. It felt like you were watching Entourage, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. I think that there was kind of a bubble that came out of that with, with, uh, they went to Kenny Hill and I think Kenny had seen, you know, tried to be Johnny at some point and that didn't work great. And then, you know, I think Kyle Allen would have been fine over time, but you, it was like for two years they were breaking in a new quarterback. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it was three different guys. It was Kenny, then it was Kyle, and at some point it was Kyler Murray. So I, I think there was a lot of it was a very combustible mix. Yeah, I can't even remember the the last upperclassman quarterback. Was it Ryan Tannehill? I was gonna say I was gonna say Mr. Johnson there back in the Von Miller days. Oh you know, yeah, seemed like he was twenty nine years old. Like that, <laughs> I didn't want to call him a kid. He was physically a huge guy. He acted and, you know, I think I, I, I'm trying to remember, he may have been a counselor at the elite 11. And I remember either getting a ride from him or giving him a ride and being in the car. And it was like, this is just not the normal college right. kid just in terms of demeanor. And I think, you know, I'm not saying he was a better quarterback than some of these guys. Obviously Johnny is an all time great. Right. And some of these younger players have a lot of talent, but I just think it was a very, just a very different dynamic he had probably. Then. Yeah. Gerard by all accounts is just an awesome guy. And I think he's um, probably going to have some success in coaching or, or whatever. Yeah. He's happening. worked with the elite 11 guys since like I, I saw him a little bit this spring working with those guys. I know they really like him. So I see everybody seems to like him. Just, you know, my impression of him was very favorable. The times I've been around him as well. Awesome. 
Well, Bruce, we uh, we keep the podcast at about 30 minutes, so we'll go ahead and start wrapping up. Uh, Rush, did you have any last questions for Bruce? I did have one last uh, pretty vital question. You and Stuart Mandel were just discussing college football movies on one of your recent audibles. I was wondering where necessary roughness falls for you in the pantheon of college football film. Can we say just football films? Because it's kind of okay, sure. Um, it's probably in the middle of the pack, you know, like it's, it's way over the top with the, with the, you know, Scott Bakula 40 years old and, you know, these other guys. And, you know, I, I was a Kathy Ireland fan too, but it just, uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a terrible movie. Like, is it better than the, the movie with, uh, I'm trying to remember, was it Keanu Reeves where was like the oh, replacements? The replacements yeah. yeah. Like, I thought it was better than that. And I certainly <laughs> thought Stu, one movie Stu liked, which was such garbage was, was a movie with Anthony Michael Hall, Johnny B. Good, where Robert Downey Jr. is like the backup quarterback. Oh, he liked that movie. I was offended <laughs> for Stu that he liked it, you know? Um, <laughs> it, it was just so bad, but, um, it's like when you kind of find out you're, you know, you're you, somebody, you know, thinks like, and this is another Stu thing. Like Stu thinks Arby's is like his in and out, you know, <laughs> kind of, so I don't want to air all his dirty laundry, but, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it was all right. I mean, are you guys, you guys feeling like it was a lot better than that? We've got a soft spot for it. It's kind of like the Texas what is the best football movie you th- you've seen. Are you going to make fun of me if I say The Last Boy Scout? Do you, rem- that's, uh, do you remember that? that it's I- not really a football I- movie. It's the one where the uh, with Bruce Willis. No, it's like calling Point Break a football yeah. movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was going to be mine. That's true. Although I notoriously haven't seen any movies, and uh, Necessary Roughness is one of them, actually, for me. The two best movies, you know, and it's weird. You see a movie when you're like 14 and it, it seems like it's great. And then you kind of find out later on. Oh, yeah. The program for me, I think that was like my movie when I was 14. When I was a really little kid, I remember one of my older cousins had a had a uh, movie poster of the longest yard, not the Adam Sandler one, the Burt Reynolds mm-hmm. one. And I remember thinking that was a really good movie. The, the movie I thought was great and I would still kind of watch Um if it pops on cable every now and then, I mean, not like jaws kind of thing, but like was, was, um, North Dallas 40. Cause it kind of felt to me like what wild NFL must've been like in the seventies. Yeah. That's a good one too. So Smoking on sidelines. Did y'all talk about yeah. the best of times? The, uh, the Kurt Russell that movie? Was, no, I don't think we talked about that. I, that probably was a probably an underrated movie. Yeah, right? I love that movie. I mean, I haven't seen it in maybe fifteen years, but I uh, I really liked that movie. Have either one of you seen all all the right moves? Uh, that's another one that I've seen, but it's been a very long time. So just have these yeah, so that's a Tom Cruise movie. It's based in in like you know Steel Mill, Pennsylvania. I thought that was an underrated movie. Again, that might have been because I saw it when I was. 14 or 15 in that like high school range. Like one of my older brother's friends played foot, college football against the quarterback in that movie, the rifleman. So I think there was some kind of connection to it, but I don't know. There, there's, I feel like there's been more disappointing football movies than there've been good right. ones. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah. Overbuild <laughs> for sure. Well, we'll, yeah. uh, we'll all get together <laughs> offline and, and start putting together a screenplay. I'm sure everyone has done that too. <laughs> so like, yeah, this will, We're this the first work. to do it. 
And uh, yeah. interestingly, All the Right Moves was in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which I worked in Johnstown for three or four years. So it was that and Slapshot were the local favorite movies, but I had I didn't really have an affinity, a strong affinity for either one. Yeah, I like Slapshot when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Again, that's another one. Like, I think I made my, my wife is a lot younger than me, and I think I made her watch it. And she kind of looked at me like, this isn't that funny. <laughs> I always just think of Bobby Big Wheel and his avatar when I when I think of that movie yeah. now. The um yeah, so speaking of writing, do you have any other books in the works? I don't. I have a like I had a book project. I don't know if it's going to get off the ground or not. Um I think it would be cool if it does. I don't want to jinx it anymore sure. than I probably already have, but um you know, if, if that's not the case, then I'm kind of in a holding pattern. Just books took a lot out of right. me and um you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I don't know. like it, it would have to be something I'm really into. Cause you really live with a book for like two years right. and it's just a, it's just a commitment. So uh, we'll see. I mean, if, 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 if the book I, I envision can come together, awesome. If not, you know, I'll try to come up with one for a year from now if I can. Sure. All right. Good deal. Well, if you don't have anything else, Rush, I think we'll let you go, Bruce. We really appreciate your time. Uh, we know how uh, how busy you are. Even in the in the middle of this interview, you had to hop on ESPN Radio, which uh, which I think is is pretty cool. So we we love your work, especially when you're when you're feeling uh, positive toward Texas A and M. You know how the the fan base is, but um, we'll uh, we'll keep yeah. following you throughout the season and uh, and look for your future takes on the Aggies. All right. Thank you, guys. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks, Rush.